Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Let's crack on with our adventures in hospitality. Have you had a week of being brave in your hospitality this week? I won't go around and interrogate you all, don't worry. But last week, those who were here, we talked about Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And the idea that hospitality, this, this table being laid out in front of our enemies, that in spite of the challenges we face, we choose to be thankful for what God has done. And I've brought back my little table there, which we had on the stage last week, to talk about how in the midst of our enemies, the things that persecute us, that we find challenging, we can choose to be thankful people. I don't know about you, but it just feels like this moment in time, there's a lot of requirement to be brave. We have had, it seems that every week for the past three weeks, Manchester, London, Grenfell Tower, the challenges of the snap election, the hung parliament, and then this week, Tim Farron, I don't know about your personal viewpoints and your political allegiances, but when someone has to say, and if you read his final statement, which bizarrely I was with a friend of mine, a church leader on Friday who helped him write the statement, and he says this line, he says, I've always wanted to be a liberal. I've always wanted to be the leader of this party, but I found myself having to say, and he used the lines from the song we sang this morning, he demands my soul, my life, my all. And he made a choice to actually go, I want to be a Christ follower rather than somebody who follows my personal life ambitions. That's, that's a challenging statement. Whatever you think of his political ideals, to go, I'll give up everything I've always wanted to say, I want to follow Jesus. And one of the things I want us to look at today is this person of Jesus, because Jesus didn't just say, you know what, there are some problems on earth, it is pretty tough. Jesus was the son of God who came and lived on earth and experienced the challenges we experience today. Some of the things we are grieving over and struggling with and our uncertainties, Jesus had those same experiences. Maybe the technology and the time was different, but the challenges and the emotional events would be very similar. And I want to look today particularly at hospitality, an example that Jesus sets us in the way that he was hospitable to all. It's interesting, today is the day where we also remember a year has gone by since the death of Joe Cox. Some of you may have seen it over the news, the great get-together. I think we have a screen for that image. Around the UK, today, over 100,000 different events are celebrating being together across community. Her famous phrase, we are far more united and have far more in common with each other than things that divide us. And when I was preparing this week for this idea of hospitality and about building a bigger table around the UK, people are eating together. Here's a short video I was going to show before I even realized it was actually this um, event, this great big get-together. This is a video that was put together by the Canadian authorities to encourage community uh, hospitality. So have a look at this short video on the screen. That idea. I love the fact that one guy comes up with his bottle of tomato ketchup. That's his contribution. Uh, some people probably live off this stuff. <laughs> Great video. You know, when I, when I was growing up, we, we were really poor. And here comes the, the sob story. But it's true. I was one of six children. My dad was a church pastor. He wasn't paid very well. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and there were six of us in the house to feed. Uh, my dad uh, grew all of our vegetables, and he had a, a big garden, and we ate from things in the garden. And when it was seasonal stuff, we would eat it. My mum would make bread. It gets worse. It tasted horrible. We didn't know for years that bread tasted nice. 
My mum's not here, is she? She made our clothes. She knitted our jumpers. Now, I know that nowadays that's retro and cool. When you're the only Cub Scout with a hand-knitted jumper, it's not a great look. <laughs> and it gets worse because I was one of six, and so what would happen is my oldest brother would have an outfit, a jumper, a shirt, a pair of shorts, whatever it might be, and it would go through the family. You can see on the family photos the movement of the jumper. You know, my poor sister, number four in line, wearing boys' clothes. It was awkward time growing up. And we always had very little money. Mon money would always be very tight, and things would always have to stretch as far as possible. But here's the thing about my mum, which was amazing, was there's always, there's always room for one more at the table. Always. We had nothing, but there was always room for one more. And in fact, most mealtimes, there was somebody there which I didn't always fully appreciate as a child. Because what it meant is if we had visitors, we just got less. <laughs> the, the food didn't grow. It wasn't like a break, feeding the 5,000 moment. It was just we had a little bit less. And my mum would always make a meal that could be shared amongst more people. And we used to have a church pew along one side of our table. The benefits of a church pew is you can always squeeze a few more in. And there'd always be extras on a Sunday. But the thing about my family, my mum, and she's still with the same now, there would always be room for one more. Which I think is a, is a statement of every Christian who says, I want to be like Jesus. There's always room for one more. I want to tell you the story from Luke chapter 14 of the great banquet. It's a story that Jesus told on the back of an experience he was having at being at a, a meal or a feast. And he says these words. I'll read them for you They're on the screen behind me, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seat of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Next screen will be helpful as I'm trying to read off the screen. There we go. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends your brothers, your relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So Jesus is at an event. He's at a, a mealtime. He's telling this story, and he's giving them some good advice Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaims, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. He's talking about heaven, about the future, when we get to sit at the table in heaven. And Jesus then carries on and tells a story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making their excuses. One said, I've just bought a new car and I must inspect it. Sorry, field. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I've just gonna bought myself an iPhone. Sorry, five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I've got a big family due. I just got married. I can't come. My time is limited. Excuses we may still hear today. The servant returned and told his master what he had heard and what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there is still room for more. There's always room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. The house will be full. Jesus there is talking all kinds of metaphors, but he's saying to us, there is always room for more. And my father's laid out a table in heaven that I want it to be full. I don't want it just half full. I don't want just all the nice and good people there. I want the people from every, every part of society, the good and the bad, the, the ugly and the beautiful, the, the, those with and those without, those who are struggling, those who feel like they've got it all together. He wants there to be room for all. I don't know if you've ever been like that party, party host type of person. You've had a party, an event, an activity, maybe you've been planning a wedding, and you've been wondering, who should you invite? You're sitting there with a blank piece of paper, maybe with your future husband or wife, or with mother-in-law, or whoever it might be, and you're, you're planning, who should we invite to this event? And as soon as you think, well, we'll invite this person, then, oh, then I'll have to invite that person. Ever had that slight challenge? I'm not sure if those two people get on anymore. Well, this could be awkward if they sit at the same table and try to plan the layout and who sits next to who and what should we wear? Should it be formal? Should it be informal? Are we going to make sure that there is, you know, kind of, is it a casual arrangement? Is it a fancy dress? How are we going to communicate that to people? It's hard trying to organize and plan such events. Most times, not every time, most times when Lost and I go to weddings, I have this little moment of concern. I've got the invitation. Does that mean reception as well? Anyone else had that inner thought? Because sometimes the, the invitations aren't very clear. You get this invitation that says, we'd like you know, to request your presence. That's nice. Um, where, which bit am I allowed to go to? And there's that kind of like tentative moment. You arrive at the reception hall, wherever it might be, and you sidle up to the seating plan. And you think, oh, where am I? And you're good, and you start at the bottom of the furthest point from the head table. And you look for yourself, and oh, swear, oh, it's okay, we're, we're already, we're in lock, we're okay. We've got ourselves in this moment, it's okay. But I have those moments of nervousness, of thinking, am I invited or not? Am I welcome or not? Last week we talked about hospitality being, the same word, hospitality in Greek means loving the stranger. Hospitality is all about loving the stranger, and Jesus was all about loving the stranger, the one that you do not know. Probably one of my most defining scriptures when I was growing up and I started working for my local church, particularly in the area of community outreach and doing some of the things that we're doing here now, such as food bank. And um, one of the most defining scriptures was one called Matthew 25. Many of you will be familiar with it. It's this, I won't read it out, it's quite lengthy. But Matthew 25 is when Jesus tells the story of what is going to happen in the future, when God gathers us in his throne room, in front of him. And he gives imagery of sheep and goats. He was saying to them, it's a bit like God's going to be like a shepherd, and he will separate those that are sheep 
and those that are goats. And just to kind of bypass all the stuff, basically, goats are bad and sheep are good. That's how it works. And he, and he reads through in Matthew 25, and God separates them into two groups of people, the sheep and the goats, the good and the bad. And the king will say to those in his right, the sheep, come, come into my presence, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was alone, you came to visit me. Thank you. Come and be with me forevermore. And, and the sheep, those on the right, would say to, Jesus, to God, they would say to him, but when, when do we feed you? When, when do we give you a drink? When do we ever house you and put you up for the night? I don't remember ever having that experience. And God will say to them, whatever you do to the least of these, whatever you do to the least of a society, you're doing it as if you're doing it to me. And then you turn to those on the left, and I'm trying not to make the church feel right and left. We haven't sat you in some sort of sheep side or goat side. Don't worry, we haven't graded the church. But he would turn to those on his left, and he would say to them, go into everlasting darkness, because I was hungry, and you never fed me. I was lonely, and you didn't give me a time of day. I was outside your home, desperate to put my head on a pillow, and you just closed the curtains. I was thirsty, and you just turned your back. And the goats, the, those on the left, would say to Jesus, say to God, sorry, it was, God was there on the throne. And they say to him, when, when do we ever have that opportunity? We, we'd have known if God came into town. We'd have known if you needed some clothes. We don't even know what size you are. I mean, how are we going to feed you? How would that work? You say you are hungry, but we never saw you hungry. But you're God, you don't need feeding. I don't understand. How does this take place? And God will say, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, Whatever you didn't do, you, you didn't do it to me. You refused me access to your love, your care, your hospitality. Be gone from me. Now, if you read it, it's a quite a hard-hitting passage. It is all about the end times, what is going to be happening. We don't want to get straight into all of that. That's like a whole other teaching series. But really, for me, what Jesus was saying when he tells this story and gives us an analogy of being separated like sheep and goats, is saying, remember that we're called to love the unloved, to look out for the lonely and the stranger, to look out for the thirsty and for the hungry. Not because it makes us feel better when we help someone in need, but because it's as if we were doing that to God himself. And one day we will be held to account for our actions. We'll be held to account for things we did do and the things we didn't do. Keith Green, who was a well-known singer-songwriter in the 70s and 80s, um, I actually watched this track on YouTube yesterday. It's from, he sings Matthew 25, and it's a very powerful song. Uh, but he says, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is simply what they did and didn't do. Th this requires more than just our prayer. It requires more than just our well-meaning words. It requires more than our finances. This is about us actively doing something. Hospitality requires more than just a thought. It requires an action. And I'm not trying this morning, I'm really desperate, this whole series, not to kind of put on guilt. We will all open our homes up and have strangers coming for tea every day. I'm just asking us to be challenged about, are we living a life like Jesus did? Are we being more like Jesus? One of the reasons we've set up Freedom Matters, our food bank, Romsey Food Bank, 
and also in partnership with other church in the town and uh, CAP Data Centre. And we'll look at some other projects we'd like to set up as well. The reason we set up Freedom Matters is because we want to do something to serve those in need in our town. We want to respond to the requirements and example that Jesus sets out. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about hospitality. Jesus was like party Jesus. He was an example of how to be great at hospitality. I'm slightly uncomfortable with the image. Because when I was growing up, the idea of a party was kind of frowned upon. We had schlur at Christmas. <laughs> Wine, beer, alcohol, never. But schlur at Christmas. The idea of party almost grates with my religious evangelical upbringing. They're like, oh, really? But you look at the Bible and it's completely true. Jesus loved the outcasts of society. He ate with them in spite of the opinions of the religious leads of the day. Jesus was not distant or aloof or just hung out with the upper classes. He hung out, hung out with every single type of person. We have the very first miracle. Now you're going to wish you sat near the front row. We have the very first miracle where Jesus turned water into wine. Now this is an incredible story for those people out there who still think that alcohol is bad. Jesus turned water into the best wine. Jesus turned water that was used for foot washing, ceremonial jars for foot washing, into the best possible wine. Now, if Jesus was anti-party and anti-alcohol and anti-fun, he said, you know what? You probably had enough to drink. You've run out because you've been in, you've been in an excess of drinking. You've, you've all have had too much. And I think maybe I should make you all a coffee. That's what Jesus would have done in some of our books. You know what? Silly you. You've drunk too much. Go sleep it off. I'll get you some water, I'll get you some coffee, I'll get you some pills or something, but what I won't do is make you more wine, because that would be inappropriate, surely. Not just more wine, but I'll make you really good wine, so you'll want to drink even more of it. Now, anyone that disagree with the story that's in the Bible, it's in there. Jesus was a party starter, not a party pooper. How many have got Christian friends? Who can be more like party poopers than party starters? That when you're having a great time, they start referring to certain biblical references loudly. Jesus had a party appetite. He loved people gathering and being together and connecting around a table, as we talked about last week. And he turned water into wine. Jesus was fun to be with. In fact, I love this. If you look in Matthew 11, Jesus um, gets complaints from John the Baptist's disciples. They complained to John the Baptist. They said, listen, John, you're okay, but the camel cloth and the locusts and honey, we're getting a bit annoyed by it. Jesus and his disciples are having way much more fun than we are. There's proper complaints between the disciple programs. And they're going, their internship is much better than yours. They get parties, they get wine, they get food. When they feed people, there's excessive amounts left over. But with you, John, you go, well, it's locusts and honey, boys. You signed up for it. Jesus was all about the party. He ate with sinners. When he met Matthew, the tax collector, he didn't say to Matthew, change your ways. He said, I'll come and sit around your table. And I'll sit and eat with your friends. And when the people who we aspire to, to impress, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, say, oh, that's not really appropriate. Jesus kind of went, you know what? I don't really care. Matthew is more important to me, and his friends are more important to me than you and your bunch of rules and religious ideals. He sat with sinners. 
he had always had room for one more. I think my mum must have taken a, a note out of his book because when there were 5,000 people plus their families sitting on the side of a hill, it says in the Bible that Jesus was moved with compassion. He went, you know what? I could send them all home. Some of his disciples said, send them home. It's too expensive. It's too difficult. Jesus was moved with compassion and took a sweaty little boy's fish. There was in, I mean, when a young boy gives up his lunch, it's got to be bad, hasn't it? And he gives it up and he breaks it and he shares it. And there was so much. Everyone has their fill. And there were 12 baskets left over. That's the generous, extravagant God. There's always room for one more. And I love the fact that Jesus broke all the rules of society. He said, I'm going to connect with people that no one else thinks I should connect with. He, he met with those other people who said was inappropriate. Was, you know, was, that's not what you do, Jesus. If you want to impress people, spend time with the higher echelons of society. Don't spend your time with those that we don't have time for. He spent time with the people who were lepers and lame. The man that was lowered through the roof. You know, Jesus on his platform doing his preach. He's having a great moment. He's got a full house. Everybody is crowded in to see him. He's in the middle of his talk and someone lowers a guy who people in their society think must have done something wrong in his past or his parents have done something wrong because he was lame. And he's lowered to the roof and Jesus could say, you know what, I've got my platform going. I'm, I'm on my stage. I'm doing my thing. You're, you're disrupting me. Instead, Jesus had time and moment for the person, the individual, and said, get up off your mat and walk and sin no more. A powerful moment. When Jesus is walking along the road to Jericho and blind Bartimaeus is shouting out at the top of his voice saying, Jesus, Jesus. And the crowd are saying to Bartimaeus, don't, shush, be quiet. We don't want Jesus to see you. You're a bit of an embarrassment. You're blind. You're one of the, kind of the, the, the five percenters of our, of our society. We'd rather you just hid, hid away. But Jesus heard him, came over and said to blind Bartimaeus, you can see again. He had time for those on the edge of society. He spoke to um, Zacchaeus, who was up the tree, the tax collector, the chief tax collector, the chief of all sinners. And then we have here Matthew 18, um, where Jesus said to the children, come unto me. He told his disciples off. His disciples were saying, no, no, Jesus is far too busy to see children. Again, children were seen and not heard very much so in that time. And he said to his disciples, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he gathered the children to him. He had time for the children. He had time for those with disabilities. He had, had time for those who were on the outside of society. He had time for the Samaritan woman at the well. He wasn't meant to speak to Samaritans. He wasn't meant to speak to women. But Jesus broke both rules in one go. And he told her her life story that she'd never told anyone else, and a whole village came to faith through that moment. Are we prepared to spend time with people that society says are not important? And it isn't just something of 2,000 years ago. We have our own parts of our society that we deem good or not so good. Are we prepared to spend time with those people that society say to us, will not ever get you up your, your career ladder, they won't make you look impressive on Instagram, but they are the people that we need to be spending our time with and giving ourselves to. And Jesus tried to explain all of his belief and his way of doing hospitality through the story of the Good Samaritan. He tried to explain it to those Jewish listeners. Your neighbor is not the one who is the same as you. Your neighbor is the one that helps you in a time of need. Can you be 
a good neighbour. But as I was looking through the Gospels this week to just to kind of discover all the different moments of hospitality that Jesus did and the example he set, for me, probably the two final moments of hospitality that Jesus did were one of his two of his final acts. He met with his disciples for their last supper. They gathered around for the Passover feast, a special Jewish festival. <coughs> Here we go, water, not wine. That would be a very different service. He gathers them around and he washes their feet. And this was not a symbolic act. This is guys who've been walking with sandals through dirty, dusty roads. Guys' feet are the worst anyway. Full stop. And, it, and then he goes, I'm going to wash all your feet. And he, and he goes down to his undergarments. He kneels down, symbolic kneels in front of his disciples, those that followed him. He was the rabbi, the teacher. He knelt. He washes their feet, an act of humility and service and hospitality in his last moments. But probably his final act of hospitality was the moment where he is hanging on the cross and he turns to the thief next to him and he says, come and join me at the table in heaven. Come and join me. There's room for one more. I haven't got time to tell you the full gospel story, but you know what? Here's a VIP pass. You're in. I'll get you the best seat, the best place at my father's right-hand side. What a moment. In pain, agony, hurting, disappointment, he turns and he is hospitable and kind to a stranger, to one who didn't deserve it. I wonder if we could do those things. I wonder if whether we can be examples like Jesus was example. Do we, are we fun to be with? Are we fun to be with? Some of you aren't too sure if you're fun to be with or not. Don't look at the person next to you. They might not give you the answer you're looking to hear. Are we fun to be with? Are we people who bring the party or be the party pooper? Are we people who are willing to eat with those that maybe other people would say would not be best in our society? Do we have time for people? Are we prepared to be in the moment? You know, I had this experience this week. I was walking along at an event, uh, the big church day out. Some of you will know this big event, and I was there. And someone who I knew came running across to see me. They said, oh, Sim, it's great to see you. And then they saw who I was walking with. Went, oh, oh, hello. And suddenly I was shut out of the conversation. Anyone had that one before? And suddenly they went, oh, right, celebrity in Christian world anyway. And then off they went. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting. But how many times have I ever done that to someone else? Well, I've been talking to somebody, but someone over their shoulder is more interesting to me. Are we prepared to be in the moment when we're talking with people? Are we prepared to be like Jesus? And I'll end now with we're going to have a little bit of a party this morning, believe it or not. And so I'd like the big team three who are amazing. They're going to bring all the tables from the back. And we're going to lay them down the middle here as a big feast table. And yes, it'll be noisy, but you know what? That's okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Wonderful. Let's give a round of applause for our big team three. I don't know what sort of party you like going to, but I know the party that Jesus would lay out, he'd lay out a table where anybody could come, where anyone could be present, where anyone could sit wherever they wanted to sit. There would be no high position or low position. You could sit wherever you want to do. There would be water and wine at the party that Jesus led. And his house would be full. Get the band up if that's okay as well, Hannah. God wants his house to be full. He doesn't want his house to be empty. He wants this church to be full. 
He wants every church in this town to be full. He wants heaven to be full. And so I've asked as the team lay out the table with some goodies for us to enjoy in just a moment, I've asked that the uh, worship team, they're going to play us a song called The Table by Chris Tomlin. You might not know it very well, but just encourage you to sit there and just to enjoy the idea of what does the table represent, the metaphor of the table through this song. Thank you, Hannah. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.